Jeff Tebalt, Pastor of Marriage and Family. So glad to be here with you today. Uh, students, you're going to remain in here with us today. The rest of the crew is on a ski trip. Should be heading home soon. And um, So if you're here in grade school and when I head to your class, you're welcome to do that now. Or you can just stay in here. We'll have some fun too. So We are uh, in a series right now called Rooted. And uh, past several weeks, Pastor Larry has covered some topics, answering some questions, first being, uh, who is God? And then, how does God speak to us? And where is God in the midst of suffering? And then last week, uh, Larry talked about this whole idea, the fact that we have an enemy and he is at work. He's trying to do everything that he can do to keep us from experiencing a relationship with our Lord as intended. And as I was preparing this week, I found some other ways I think that the evil one can uh, try and distract us. And, and one of those ways is just simply by doubt. You ever struggle with doubt? Just maybe doubting something um, as what we consider a truth, just that God loves us. And yet, the evil one can get us to doubt that, or, or that uh, he can, that God can really help us through difficult times. If you're struggling right now, maybe you struggle with doubt that God can even help you with that, and or doubt that Jesus' death really paid the price for your sin and or separation from, from Him. I think another way that the devil tries to defeat us is by getting us to doubt that God can use us. Have you ever had that battle in your mind of, uh, you know, who are you to be used by God? You've messed up or, or whatever. Or who are you to be used by God? You're not gifted enough. You don't know enough. Well, with that in mind, let me pray for us before we start our time. Lord, we come and we just submit ourselves to you. I pray that you would use your word, that it would we'd go away from here, changed people, and we recognize that there, there is an enemy, and we just pray right now against that doubt, and that he would have any influence as we gather here in your house. Thank you that your spirit fills us, and we have victory. We submit this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today's message is titled, Making the Most of Your Life, or... Another way to put it is, what would Jesus do? And I thought I might have a bunch of little bracelets made up for you guys, but I didn't think that would catch on, so I decided not to do that. Uh, no, I realize that's a, a bit cliche, and yet isn't that really what our lives should be about? Of reflecting Jesus. What would Jesus do? And so, as followers of Christ, we, we should be we should know what he would do in situations, and that's why the scriptures are so important for us. It's important for us to understand what does God have for us? What does he have for you? What does he have for me? In this whole idea of God has redeemed us, and we're going to look at some scripture, but before I start, I, I want us all to understand that no matter what you've done, no matter how old you are or how young you are. God wants to use you in your situation right now. 
He actually has a plan for that. We are called to serve. Jesus didn't die on the cross just to save us from something, our sin and separation from our Creator. He saved us for something as well. The song, Broken Vessels, says that I've been set free. We've been set free from something, from the bondage of our sin, but we've also been set free for something, for a greater purpose. Jesus' death on the cross was not just about salvation, but it was about restoration. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, we read, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Reconcile literally means to restore back into its original form or purpose. In Genesis, we see what that original form or purpose was. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God originally designed us for a specific purpose. And at the fall, through sin, that original design was broken. But then history is God's redemption process of God bringing us back into our original design of Christ dying for us so that we can be as God created us to be we were created to be useful and productive we were created to participate with him in sustaining and multiplying his creation it says we are participants with him have you ever noticed that Although vacations are wonderful, uh, or just having a day where you don't have to do anything, I don't know about you, but I can only go so long before I need to be doing something. We were created. We were designed not just to be consumers of God's creation and to just sit around. No, we were made to participate in it. We were created to be good stewards of it, which is an action word. We're to be doing something. We weren't created for God's blessings just to flow into us and for us to hold on to. We were created to be a conduit of God's blessings to a lost and broken world. Ephesians 2.10, which is our theme verse for today. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's handiwork and he has prepared things specifically that only you can do. Have you ever looked at yourself that way? That you are God's handiwork? 
So as followers of Christ, we are called to serve. John 20, 21, Jesus says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. I love it that he starts that off with, peace be with you, because what he has to say is a really big, scary deal. I am sending you. That's kind of scary. And yet he pronounces peace on them as they receive it. The word serving takes a lot of different forms in the scriptures. We primarily think uh, of many examples of in scripture of where people were caring for others, and that's what serving means, and, and it, it certainly means that. But Jesus broadens this idea in the great commandment in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, when he answers a question that he's been posed. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever thought about loving your neighbor is serving I, I don't know about, I, I you know and, and I don't know who your, your neighbor is your neighbor it, it's certainly your next door neighbor but it's the person down the street and it might be the person at the grocery store that you see often or person that you work with or you ever looked at you're to serve them well Jesus presses a little bit harder on this idea in Luke chapter 6 Verses 27 and 28, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you or take advantage of you. Okay, that, that, that's a little bit of an ouch uh, for me. I've never thought of loving my neighbor as serving. Because I've kind of got in my little box of who my enemies are, and I have in my little box of the things that I do or don't do for them. I heard this week a, a, just a, a really interesting, wonderful story of, all of you are probably familiar with the, the Boston Marathon bombing and the tragedy a little over a year ago, and um, one of the bombers died, and uh, I recently found out that they could not find a cemetery that would allow for his body to be buried um, for they were afraid of the retribution the you know the protests and and all of that and um, but there was a woman who was a Christian and loved the Lord and uh, as she tells the story I was at Starbucks reading God's word journaling having my time alone and I read the passage where it says that I'm supposed to love my enemy and it just welled up in me. I knew I was supposed to do something about that. And so she made contacts with authorities and the family, and she began calling around and could only find one cemetery, a Muslim cemetery, that would um, allow the body to be buried there. And so she met with the family, and she was pursued, why are you doing this? And they ended up arranging a quiet funeral, and so not a lot of people know where it's at, and and. And when she was pushed on this, she said, you know, all I know is I'm supposed to love my enemies, and he is my enemy. But he's got a family who needs to begin to heal. He's got a family that God wants to restore. And that, I wanted to help that process happen. Now, 
I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I could have done that. That doesn't fit in my cute little comfortable box of loving my enemy. Because there's lots of sirens and bells that start going off in all of that. And, okay, Lord, he, he needs to work on me, and I'm open to that. I don't know about you, but what a, all I know is that lady did the right thing. The Lord called her to do love her enemy, and she did. This isn't about doing good works to, to earn our salvation. It's about responding to a holy God who saved us and then allowing him to flow through us to change the world. I think too often we uh, think serving God can only mean signing up for a mission trip, although that's what it is, uh, or committing to a year of doing something you really hate doing. <laughs> okay, It might be that for you. I, I don't know. Or... It might be just doing things that no one else wants to do. You know, it, it might be doing that as well. But serving is so much more than that. Serving is about allowing God to mold us into who he wants us to be. Serving is one of the ways that God is restoring back to himself a broken and hurting world. God has redeemed us. And so it is out of a love for him that we make ourselves available for him to flow through us. We are God's messengers to a broken and hurting world. Now, ultimately, Jesus is our example of what we're to do. Jesus came from a position of power, and yet he served in humility and love. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Referring to Jesus, says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus had every reason and right to come from a position of pride and power and superiority. And yet, he humbled himself. He gave up his desires and his own will. He gave himself to those that he was serving. And ultimately, he died on the cross for the sins of his enemies. The greatest example of what it means to love your enemy. Another way that we see that Jesus is our example is in the way that he treated people. I love reading through the Gospels and, and reading of the way that Jesus loved people. In Matthew chapter 9, he ate with sinners. He did not lecture and condemn the woman caught in adultery in John 8, but he offered her a way of life that would fill the void that she was trying to fill. In Luke 5, Jesus encounters a man with leprosy who had probably not had the loving touch of a human in years. And yet Jesus walks up to him and touches him and heals him. In John 4, Jesus offers living water to a woman who has been married five times and is now living with a sixth man 
is not her husband. The way in which Jesus treated people was radical. He treated sinners with grace and mercy and tenderness, and he offered them a new way of living. That was radical. And he spoke to the religious leaders of the day with truth and with power in such a way that it revealed their sin and their selfishness. And that, too, was radical. So we are now God's representatives. We are his messengers to the world. We are called to go in humility, equipped with God's love and power to change the world. And remember, peace be with you. <laughs> he knows what a radical claim, what a radical charge that is for us. Have you ever looked at yourself that way as God's representative? Acts 1.8. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. In Matthew 28, a familiar passage, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe, observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I, will be, uh, I am with you to the end of the age. You know who that was written to? Well, it wasn't written only to the gifted people who were really experienced, the leaders of the church of that day. Um, no. Those words were written to teenagers. Were written to professionals. Those words were written to young married people, people who were divorced, who came from broken homes. It was written to accountants and tax collectors. It was written to single people, to young moms. Those who were out of work. It was written to single dads and single moms. And it was even written to the people who had really, really, really messed up. It was written to people like you and me. It was written to broken vessels. You and I are God's plan for restoring his kingdom back to how he created it. Now I know you are probably thinking, who am I to be God's messenger? I mean, I'm not gifted enough. I don't know what to say, what qualifies me to be God's messenger. Well, I have an answer for you. Nothing. But yet, that's really the point. And no doubt, we are not the first ones to struggle with that. As you read through the scriptures, you find all kinds of people, very ordinary people, that God used to do extraordinary things. Not on their own power or talent, but through God's power through them. There's a, a great little um, letter that has floated around in some different forms, and, and the, uh, basically the topic is, 
um, Jesus is starting this movement that he'd like to change the world. And so there is this uh, management consultant group um, who Jesus takes his list of 12 guys that he's considering to help him change the world. And um, so this is the letter, fictitiously, of course, that Jesus gets back from this Jordan management consultant group. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men that you have picked for managerial positions in your new organizations. All of them have now taken our battery of tests and have not only, we've not only run the results through our computer, but we've also arranged personal interviews with each one of them for, our, for psychological and vocational aptitude consult with our consultant. The profiles of all the tests are included and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance, much like an auditor uh, will include with some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capable. Uh, proven capable. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to uh, fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualifications of leadership. The two brothers, James and, Z and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above the company loyal loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude and would tend to, be to undermine the morale of the group. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings and they both registered high on the score of the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets, the people, meets people well, has keen business mind, and uh, has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you success in your new venture. So sincerely, the Jordan Management Consultants. Now, obviously, this is fictitious, but I think it brings just a great point that God chooses to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I have a little video that I, I want you to watch here that's a good example of that. Now, you may have seen that video. It is uh, that the pianist is um, Ignacy Pandorewski, who was a famous pianist from Poland and actually lived from 1860 to 1941. And 
The idea is this is supposed to be a true story. Um, actually, I did some research, and it's not, but it's sure a cute story. But I think it demonstrates how we often might feel. That boy had nothing to offer, just twinkle, twinkle, little star. He had nothing to offer. But yet, Paderewski comes alongside him and puts together a wonderful performance that brings the crowd to his feet. If anything, what the boy came to offer only magnified the giftedness of Paderewski. And aren't we a little bit the same way? Don't you feel a little bit the same way with the Lord? And the Lord, all I got to offer is twinkle, twinkle, little star. But the Lord wants to work through us and help us do great things. And yet, isn't that how it's supposed to be? In fact, most of the time, I feel unworthy and ill-prepared and not skilled enough. But the Lord comes in, and he ends up doing a great work, demonstrating his power and his majesty. And yet, isn't that how it is supposed to be? John chapter 6 is a great story, a true story, that I think illustrates this very well when Jesus chooses to use a little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish. And the setting is Jesus is teaching and this crowd grows and uh, he had the disciples kind of gather the people off of a shore and there's so many people, they're pushing Jesus into the water and so someone supplies a boat and Jesus is actually standing on the boat and he's teaching and it's beginning to get dark, and so his disciples come, and they're kind of worried about the logistics of this, and, and people don't have time to eat and get home, and, and what are we going to do? And so Jesus has them get into smaller groups, and there's 5,000 of them. And so the disciples are, how are we going to feed them? And, and well, they, they all kind of come back and report, here's, the, here's how many we have, and, and we see that Andrew at least spoke up in verse 9, and he says, well, I found a boy who's got five loaves of bar barley loaves and two fish. But what is that for a group this size? He knew enough to at least share what he found, but he lets his doubt show through. But what are they for so many? He was basically saying that, okay, I found a boy with five loaves and two fish, but basically I found nothing. We have 5,000 people here. Have you ever done that with the Lord? Have you ever maybe recognized a need and knew that God wanted you to do something? And you first start off with, ah, I'm unworthy. No, maybe God helps you get through that. But then you end up falling on, okay, maybe I could help, but what good is it going to do? And then the opportunity is gone. And you've missed a chance to be a blessing to someone. Well, I don't know if this boy was either a lot wiser than the disciples or if he was just too young to know better. Um, he does let Jesus have his five loaves and his two fish. And in verse 11 of that passage, it says, Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Remember, 5,000 people. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And later on in the passage, it says, and there was leftovers. 
is that great? Just like our Lord. Not just enough. Not just to get them home as much as they wanted and there was leftovers. The boy simply gave five loaves and two fish. A boy simply giving five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people, that's a nice gesture, but not very effective. But five loaves and two fish in Jesus' hands, and it's an opportunity for a miracle. Several years ago, I had a, the opportunity to um, go to Brazil, to Sao Paulo, to do a little marriage conference, and I was working for Dr. John Trent at the time, and we were doing some marriage stuff, and um, uh, going to for the, this ministry is called Hope Unlimited, and they are a ministry, they have a couple different properties, and but their ministry is um, to go into the slums um, and to basically respond to the need of children being abandoned and abused, and they provide housing for them, they provide schooling, um, they provide, vo- uh, you know, a, a skill, um, and so... Well, what they eventually, they've been around a while, and they have boys and girls, and they had been around a number of years. Well, they were now having kids that had been in the program who were back in the workforce, but they were getting married. And so here you have these now young adults who really don't have any, you know, real skill in what it means to be in healthy relationships, and and so they asked us to come in, and so I, I went out there, and I actually took my daughter, Ashley. Ashley was in our first service. She was a, a freshman in college. And um, so going to do a marriage conference for about uh, 12 young couples who, you know, needless to say, had lots of brokenness, but um, were in this ministry. And, and uh, well, as I was talking to Ashley, I said, you know, what can we do? Is there anything we can take that would, you know, really be neat? And, and, and Ashley brings up, she says, Dad, I think it would be neat if we could get um, some makeup and take it to these girls. Uh, most likely, they haven't had much use of that growing up. And uh, oh, okay, I'm a guy; I don't get that, but sure. And um, so I start doing some calling around, and and I'm getting no, no, no. I'm you know calling you know companies that make makeup and telling them the story. I'm just telling them the story. Here's here's what we're trying to do. No, 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 no. Well. Um, I actually said the name of a company the first service and Ashley corrected me afterwards. Um, and I'll tell that story in a second. But I finally get a hold of someone at ELF, okay? And evidently ELF at that time was kind of going down the tubes. And, and uh, so I, I initially get a no. No, we really can't. We don't give makeup away. We're in business, you know. And I said, can I talk to your supervisor? That's always a great thing to do. Your supervisor? Next, no, 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 no. But I just keep asking, can I just talk to your supervisor? So I end up getting the vice president of marketing. um, And I tell this lady this story. I said, you know what? I don't think you can afford not to help us because these girls are abandoned. They have no one who's loved them growing up. And they're now in a place where they're learning what it means to be healthy, to be in a relationship with their creator. So I'm just sharing the gospel. What do I got to lose at this point? Well, this woman eventually just goes, oh my gosh, we're in. I love this. What do you need? So, as if I know what I need. Ashley, tell the lady what we need. So, uh, so they end up making this huge list and say, okay, this is going to be like four boxes, Mr. Tebow. Okay, well, you're in. So, and I can't afford to ship it. So, will you ship it to us? Sure, we'll ship it. So, this thing gets to Brazil. 
well, we're doing this conference, and, and once again, we're, they end up taking us on, you know, we go through these slums and where these girls have come from and the brokenness, and we're hearing their stories, and, and I have the opportunity to share some stuff about, you know, the blessing and, and being in relationships and how the Lord, all of that, and just, just a wonderful, wonderful time. Well, we decide to put on a really nice dinner for the couples. They, they've never really had someone serve them. You sit down, you're not cooking, we are going to serve you. We're going to put on aprons and we're going to cook a meal for you. And you are going to sit there with your spouse and here's some conversations to have. And they just never had anything like that. Well, that's when Ashley chimes in. And gals, let's do a makeup party before that. I want to help you get dressed for that. And I'm going to show you how to do it. So, oh my gosh, there's tears. It is just crazy crazy, crazy blessing of these girls for the first time putting on makeup and looking at themselves in the mirror and seeing something different than what they've been told their entire lives. And so we do this dinner and, and have a time afterwards, and they write us letters, and I mean, just changed, changed uh, hearts, and uh, it was absolutely wonderful. Well, when we got home, I, I sent those letters to this gal at ELF, and um, she calls me. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for letting us be a part of this. I'm sharing this with all of our vice presidents. And I sent her pictures. And, and well, what Ashley told me after the first service when I said the wrong name, she says, Dad, it wasn't Maybelline. It was ELF. And I don't know if you remember, but they were going, they were pulling their stuff out of the stores before that. And that they actually said, well, we're kind of liquidating, so we'll help you here because we think it's a great cause. ELF is now back in the stores. Uh, okay. Maybe the Lord blessed them because of what they did even at that time. And so a high school girl from the U.S. or a college girl from the U.S. giving makeup to a bunch of orphan girls from Sao Paulo, Brazil. It's a nice gesture. But not really impactful. But put on a dress-up party for a group of newlywed girls who are hearing for the first time that they have a heavenly father who adores them and that they are his precious daughters and that he will never leave them nor forsake them, which is all they had ever experienced. That's when miracles happen. Jesus can use even makeup to change lives. And a multi-billion dollar company now was impacted as well. So what's this look like for you? We were all created with unique gifts, spiritual gifts and talents. And, and this is actually a two-part series. Next week, Pastor Troy is going to be talking more specifically about well, what's it mean for you in terms of ways that you can be involved. And, and here are some scriptures um, that you can look up about spiritual gifts and, and you may have taken a spiritual gifts test. Left alone, our gifts and talents are at best a nice gesture at times. But submitting them for Jesus to use in people's lives and change happens. But we must be willing to let him use us. We need to be willing to let him flow through us. 
two very well-known bodies of water in the Middle East. A friend shared this a week ago, and I kind of looked into it a little bit more, and I, I think it's a great way to end our time today. Two well-known bodies of water in the Middle East is the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And you have fresh water going into the Sea of Galilee, where it flourishes, and then flows out 13 miles to the Dead Sea. And at the Dead Sea, it stops. The Sea of Galilee is a vibrant, flourishing body of water that has supported commercial fishermen since before Jesus walked the earth. It is believed that over 250 to 300 commercial fishermen made their living by fishing the Sea of Galilee. And in 2010, over 13 million pounds of tilapia were pulled out of the Sea of Galilee by commercial fishermen. Its waters are abnormally rich with with nutrition, minerals for the sustaining of life and plants and fish. The Jordan River then flows out of the Sea of Galilee 13 miles to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on dry land on the planet, 1,291 feet below sea level. The Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea and then stops. And the water there then gets evaporated, leaving crystals behind, and when that's mixed with the sodium chloride and other sediment, the Dead Sea is eight times saltier than the ocean. The Dead Sea is a dead end, making it toxic. The fish that make it to the Dead Sea, although they were in a vibrant body of water getting to the Dead Sea, in a matter of minutes, die when they reach it. Life-giving water flows in, but nothing flows out. And the truth is, if things flow in and never flow out, no matter how nutritious it is or how big it is, it will die. The same water flows into both bodies of water. But because the Sea of Galilee has water flowing into it and out of it, it flourishes. But when it hits the Dead Sea, everything dies. And if all we're doing is gathering on Sundays, taking notes, and doing Bible studies, and filling notebooks with our sermon notes, but nothing is flowing out of us, then we're going to die too. We become Our hearts will become hard towards the Lord. And those around us will get a distorted view of who God is. And we will become spiritually stagnant. That's not what we were created for. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. 
Jesus' death and resurrection saves us from the powers of the enemy. But it also saves us for something. We're to be like the Sea of Galilee with God's blessings flowing into us and through us to a broken world. We're to be the recipients of his love, grace, and mercy and to let him flow through us by the power of his Spirit to a broken world. Next week, Troy's going to continue this message of making the most of your life. And he's going to be, once again, drilling down a little deeper on some of the specific things that, that we can be doing. But I want to encourage you this week to sincerely be praying, Lord, what do you have for me? And keep your eyes open around you as you go through your day, because that's your sphere of influence. That's where he wants to be flowing through us. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you do not leave us, that you don't abandon us on our, to be on our own. Lord, you created us for a purpose, and although we live in a broken world, you are in the process of restoring us. And Lord, you empower us through your spirit. And Father, I pray that we would be attentive this week to what you have for us. Thank you for inviting us to be able to participate with you. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.